Hello and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. My name is Zach Falconer Barfield. I am the first gentleman and founder of the Perfect Gentleman, and alongside me, as always, is the charmingly handsome james marwood thank you zach you're very kind so today what are we talking james a couple of things today zach we're going to look at some reviews and we've got a couple of cool bits to share with you some interesting things and then we're going to talk a little bit about manners and respect and how to start teaching those early to children or younger people um and some ideas about that it looks like a a fun-filled and different action-packed podcast here at the perfect gentleman indeed so yes it should be fun let's uh, crack on with the reviews great what have you got today to review since it's the olympics and it's summer and because I always, I'm generally always thinking about food, I'm reviewing a cookery book. It's called The The Brazilian Kitchen by Leticia Mohenos Schwartz, who is a Brazilian cookery writer. And she's written this book in English. Um, it's in primarily the American market, so you have to do some conversions for units and measures if you're, if, if you're outside of the US. But it's a really good basic cookbook on traditional Brazilian cooking. I'm hungry already. Yes. I mean, there are lots of Brazilian restaurants now all over the place. There's several in in London. I think most big cities in the UK at least have them. And they tend to focus on the Brazilian barbecue, the churrasca here. You know, the guys with the skewers, the gauchos with the skewers going around and carving up bits of meat, which is great. I love that. But that's only one part of Brazilian cooking. And Brazil's a huge country with a real variety of cuisine, but it also has this mixture of traditional Latin American cooking, African cooking, European, more German towards the south, more sort of Spanish and Portuguese influence to the north. But it's a fantastic country with a lot of great recipes that we don't tend to know about. So this book is a real great way to start with that. It talks quite a lot about some of the basic ingredients that they use and some of them which are you know, generally, Brazilian cooking uses similar ingredients that you'd see in most of the world. The same sort of meat. Some of the Brazilian steak cuts are a little bit different in name, but this this book explains that. Rice, traditional vegetables, a lot of garlic. Coconut is quite, is quite commonly used. Lemon and lime. Things like uh, squashes, okra, or ladies' fingers, depending on where you are in the world. And also plantain, things like that. So things that you would more normally associate probably with African or Caribbean cooking. They're all blended in there. There's dozens of recipes here, but one of the ones that is a, is a real favourite of mine, which is something that we eat quite often at home. My other half's from Brazil, so when she does it, she uses a family recipe. When I do it, I use the recipe from this book, which is a thing called moqueca de peixe, or moqueca de peixe de baia, which is a kind of fish curry. It's a mixture of fish in there, sort of a, a mix of river and sea fish, depending on where you on where you are. It uses coconut garlic, a little bit of chilli, sometimes tomato, but onions, things like that. It's somewhat similar maybe to a bouillabas, but with a little bit more kick to it and a little bit more spice and that coconut. So if you're looking for something which is a very traditional sort of emblematic dish for Brazil, moqueca de is probably one of the ones to go for. It's a really simple one to cook, although it looks quite impressive. This particular recipe, for example, calls for, for dende oil. I almost never use that. I just use vegetable oil, fish stock, coconut milk, all things that you would probably have at home. Maybe hearts of palm, if you can get them. You can normally get them in cans in most supermarkets. You'll find recipes online, but the, the, the one from this book is really cool. And if you get a chance, give that a go. It's like, like a hearty evening, midweek dinner, something like that and it'll give you this great introduction to brazilian cooking that's 
different to just the traditional barbecue. My mouth is watering. Yes, mine is a little bit. I've got pictures here in front of me because I'm looking at the book. Oh, it sounds delicious. Um, it is the one of those unknown cuisines, Latin American cuisines. It's not really, till recently, really impacted Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Mexican, yes, but Mexican has been around for quite a while and Americans brought that over quite early. But Latin American, Southern American cooking is really kind of not really hit till recently. And and now it's starting to find its feet to the Peruvians, the Brazilians and Latin and Argentinian cooking is starting to really sort of make a, a strong foothold in the, the culinary landscape of the United Kingdom. I think so. And it, you've got the, the Brazilian restaurants in a lot of Europe, in London a, a few, but not in the rest of the UK, but in Paris and Amsterdam, Berlin, really great Argentinian restaurants. I think a lot of South American cuisine gets lumped into that while it's steak, salad, rice and beans. Those are the staples, don't get me wrong, but there's so much more there. One good hint between you and me and the and the listeners is in London especially, but in a number of other cities, there are smaller Brazilian cafes or cantinas which are somewhat a little bit out of the way. For example, there's a really great one in Stoke Newington in London. They'll do the, the barbecue at the weekends, but midweek they do this type of traditional cooking. And it is fantastic. Um, I've had some of the best steak or stews or pies, torta, they call them in Portuguese, that I've had in anywhere in London in some of these places. And they're so cheap and so friendly and so relaxed. They're just fantastic. So if you are fancying Brazilian food, maybe give the big commercial Churrascaria barbecue restaurants a miss and, and try and find one of these smaller ones. James, that's it. Done. I think that's our next dinner date. Excellent. Stoke Newington, here we come. Absolutely. We're off for Brazilian. Yes. Sorry, listeners, we're now, that's it. Podcast <laughs> over. <We're off. laughs> it's, it is tempting. I think, I think next time I'm in London, we shall have to do that. We'll go mid, midweek, get one of their specials, and it's, it's just to die for. I am literally salivating it. <laughs> you hear strange noises down the, the mic. It's my tummy grumbling at this food discussion. But just as an aside, complete aside, I didn't realise until quite recently that the Japanese had huge influence in in Latin America and specifically Brazil. Yes. Uh, Is that influenced in the cooking at all? A little bit. The traditional cooking is generally sort of the European, African, Caribbean. Mm. But I do know that there are some restaurants in in Brazil, especially in the south around around Sao Paulo and in Rio de Janeiro, that do uh, sort of a, a slightly different take on fusion cooking. So like, whereas you might get fusion cooking in really came out of Australia originally, that mixture of East and West. Well, there you have this mixture of, of East and West with traditional Brazilian cooking, which I've not tried, but I'm very keen to. After the Olympics and it's died down in Brazil, I think a quick trip to Sao Paulo and, and some fusion cooking Brazilian style. Might be. That would be awesome. That would be fantastic. Perfect gentleman world tour of food, I think. <laughs> yes, a lot of fun. A lot of fun, exactly. So you've done Brazilian cooking, so and I'm going to do something very traditionally British, but I'm not reviewing a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm reviewing kind of a person. Okay. I know it's a bit strange. As it's kind of sustainability and ethical, and we're talking all about that kind of thing this week, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about a gentleman who is pretty much a living legend in the UK, and yet is kind of not so well known, and not so much of a household name all over the world, which is a huge shame. The gentleman in question is the legendary Sir David Attenborough. Oh, yes. To every British person who listens to this this podcast, you will know him as basically the voice of the natural world for British television. He has been on British television being the voice of nature and natural world programmes 
460 or 70 years almost. Yep. He started in the 50s, so it's, it's, it's a long time that he's been the voice of the natural world. He's been inexplicably linked with the BBC for all his broadcasting career. He made some fantastic natural history programmes, The Life on Earth, Living Planet, Frozen Planet, Life in Cold Blood. He's an amazing man. Mm-hmm. I read a description of him, uh, I think it was on BBC America's website, which I loved. It says, to British television viewers... He is the kind uncle with a passion for the natural world and the infinite patience to show you everything. His serene, whispered tones being akin to the greatest teacher you've ever had, speaking about the most passionately loved topic for as long as you want. Yes. And he is an amazing man. I mean, plenty of clips on YouTube uh, doing his thing. Uh, I know that you can actually get uh, in America and, and other parts of the world because they d- redouble those programs with other actors or, or other narrators in America and so on and so forth. That you don't get David Attenborough's wonderful voice and wonderful passion come through which you should and you can get them but you actually can buy them uh, the original voices on dvd box sets in the states um, and around the world he is 90 years old and he's still making television programs yes and and writing books as well and writing books yes he's written books one of the little known facts about david attenborough that most people don't know he was a tv executive and director and he was actually a commissioner for the BBC. He was on the BBC uh, as controller of BBC Two, Mm -hmm. and he was responsible for things like Monty Python's Flying Circus. Really? The Old Grey Whistle Test, The Ascent of Man and Civilization, and he commissioned those programmes. Fantastic. I did not know that. Interesting fact number two Mm -hmm. about David Attenborough, he is the only uh, person to have won a BAFTA, which is the equivalent to the the Emmys for television uh, in the UK, um, for programmes in each of black and white, colour, HD and 3D. Wow. That's fantastic. And he's still going strong. I really enjoy wildlife programmes. I I don't get to see them often on the BBC because I travel so much, so I tend to download them um, from Video On Demand or actually buy them. Things like the Planet Earth series, I love that. There's a documentary of his I watched quite recently, which was about the the Great Barrier Reef. Mm, Fantastic. Just fascinating and really accessible. I mean, he's he's a very, very knowledgeable man and goes quite in depth. For somebody like me who just has the most passing of knowledge, I can can really get into his shows. They're great. He's had species named after him. Mm -hmm. He's had some 13 species named after him. Wow. He is a legend. And if your name is familiar, he is... Uh, brother mm-hmm. was Richard Attenborough, Dickie Attenborough, mm-hmm. who was the famous director and actor. Um, they uh, were great chums, actually, in real life as well. They were great friends as well as brothers, but they were good friends as well all the way through their lives. Uh, unfortunately, Richard passed away a few years ago. Um, but David is a, is a living legend and a gentleman and a complete gentleman. He is a true gentleman in the sense of he is wonderfully polite, kind and courteous to everyone he meets. That's always been my impression. I suggest that you go out and watch a few of his programmes. If you have watched them, watch them again. Find and embrace this uh, hero of Britain that should be sung from the rafters around the world. I think that's a really great idea. Our wonderful partners, the English Cream Tea Company, deliver a fresh take on tradition. The English Cream Tea Company offers quintessentially British gifts. Choose from the freshly prepared afternoon tea hampers to be hand-delivered right to your door throughout mainland UK, or select from a range of gift vouchers. There are also postable gifts of award-winning chocolate brownies, tea, delicious shortbread, and even cheese-please tuck tins with delicious cheese scones and chutney. After all... 
the perfect gentleman needs to be able to send the perfect gift, whether it's to say thank you, congratulations, or season's greetings. And the English Cream Tea Company supplies that, complete with your own personalised gift message. Who do you know who would not love the gift of afternoon tea? So go to theenglishcreamtea.com for a charming touch of British indulgence. One little thing that has come across my desk, part of me as the perfect gentleman wants to discuss, and part of me as a perfect gentleman, because we have a not going beyond the bedroom door policy, doesn't want to discuss at all. Okay, this is intriguing. Is a thing called the G-Box Club. Okay. Some young ladies in America have come up with this idea to help men deal with ladies who might have to do the walk of shame okay for those who don't know the walk of shame is of course after enjoying an evening of fine company together the said lady then has to leave the gentleman's company and return home wearing the items that she might have worn the night before uh, and maybe in a disheveled state the ladies who came up with this idea the g-box club gentleman's box club thought this was unacceptable and decided to do something about it so they have uh, launched a um, it's an indiegogo page at the moment um, for a business that uh, launched a box which contains a day dress some ballet pumps makeup remover a toothbrush a hair hairband and a tote to carry all your stuff from the day before with you on your way home so you don't look like you've just um been out on the tiles as it were i think that's a really good idea actually it is a very good idea we like it we'll put the link in the uh, footnotes for the episode it is a nice idea but i am conflicted though james i am conflicted well because as the perfect gentleman we don't generally talk about this stuff no we tend to be pg as, as well as pg <laughs> I've had situations before as a younger man where I've had young ladies stay over and then had to walk into the station or drive them home in the morning. Sometimes if it's been midweek, I haven't been able to do that and I've had to go to work. It is hard. You know, I've been on the other end of that as well. It's a bit easier for guys because you know, the clothes I was wearing to a night out are not that different to the clothes I would wear for work or, or during the day. But, you know, something that you can have just to show a bit of consideration and to make life easier for your friends and partners i think that's a good idea i think it's a good idea i do like it i'd like the idea my only issue and and i do caveat this because it is perfect gentleman the marketing campaign on the indiegogo is not up to perfect gentleman standards so i apologize up front for if you watch the video um it is not quite uh, perfect gentleman standards as we would say i'll have to watch it but i'll bear in mind it may be a little risque it is a little risque and a little talking about stuff that we don't generally talk about above gentleman. but actually i mean i'm just looking at the indiegogo page now i've not to play the video but looking at the, what it is you know this small six inches by two inch box with the dress and the flats and the makeup remover etc that would actually be a really useful thing probably for a lot of ladies to keep in their car or in the office at work i've been in situations i normally keep a change of clothes in the boot of the car just because i might have to stay over on a business trip or you spill something or what have you or their life gets in the way something like that would be really useful to have it's so tiny no i think it's a good idea we do support you g-man project we like you very much if you want us to help change the marketing message somewhat we're on hand but i guess we're probably not their target demographic so um, we're probably not their target demographic exactly but well done you hope it's successful our partners Hawes and curtis are a british brand with more than 100 years of heritage and tailoring in 1913, Ralph Hawes and George Frederick Curtis opened their first store in London's Piccadilly Arcade at the corner of German Street, renowned for its resident shirt makers. From the beginning, Hawes and Curtis attracted famous clientele, including the Duke of Windsor, Cary Grant and Fred Astaire, dapper gentlemen all. 
As a result of Horse & Curtis' commitment to impeccable service and product excellence, the brand has been awarded four royal warrants. Today, Horse & Curtis offers extensive menswear and women's wear collections, providing customers with complete looks for a whole variety of occasions. Please head over to their website, www.horseandcurtis.co.uk. I'm going to start this off by something that, that I bring up quite often, but I think it doesn't get referenced enough, which is young people in the UK especially, but I've seen it all over the world, get a pretty bad rap for bad manners. And that's not always fair. I know and have met some fantastically well-mannered, polite, charming young people. I see a lot of on, on public transport. I travel a lot by train, so I get a lot of the time when I'm going by train or by bus. There's students, there's school kids, things like that. And I've seen some absolute sterling examples. So this is not a kick at the younger generation, at the millennials, but it's more a little bit about how to learn and how to teach and how to promote ideas of, of manners and gentlemanliness to those around you and especially those who are a bit younger. Is that fair enough, Zach? Yeah, I totally agree, James. And also, as we've said before on the Perfect Gentleman podcast, the youth have always been told off for their miscreancy and their bad behaviour, dating back to the medieval times. Famously, Samuel Johnson wrote about how their behaviour was appalling and uh, the manners were appalling. We always sort of give the younger generation a bad rap. And as you say, there are some... Uh, great examples of good behaviour. I don't know whether I would say it's the majority. I certainly would say it's a fair number. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be saying it's the majority. <laughs> I think that's probably fair. It's some of the examples I, I think of, and as I, I do try and call out sometimes, are probably because they're so unusual, they kind of stick in the mind. One of the things that's interesting to me, if we think about really young children, I, I, I don't have any children, but I do have three godchildren who, when I see them in social settings with other kids, it's noticeable to me that they are very well-mannered, very thoughtful. I mean, they're obviously kids and they're having fun and they're boisterous and noisy, which is great. That's what children should be like. But they're also thoughtful, please and thank yous. They you know they, they say hello, they say goodbye. They make sure to, to share and things like that. Even when it's hard, that's important. That sets them up well for later in life. It's not by accident their parents have taken great care to teach them how to behave and, and how to behave well. And so I'm not going to try and teach parents, you know, how to how to parent. I don't have children. I don't know how to do that. But I know that my godchildren's parents, my friends, Oz and Sammy, they've really taken care to teach and made it an active part of the, of the skills that they impart to their children, their manners. This was how I was taught. This is how all my cousins are taught. This is how my, my family members have taught their kids. And it does show being well brought up. It's nothing really to do with class or to do with money or, or anything like that. It's to do with teaching your children and insisting on a particular way of behaving and that works really well certainly with the children i know you can see those that have been that have been taught this i would just add its examples as well especially young kids i i don't have any kids but like you i have a number of god kids and the parents that lead by example are well-mannered and well-behaved and well brought up they show that that's the way to behave and kids will mimic and kids will idolize one partner or parent or someone and if they see that behavior all the time then they will 
osmotically pick it up as you say it has to be reinforced by proving that that's the the west way to do and educating them that's the way to be all the time makes me think about that gentleman news item that lady who threw away those kids ice creams because they didn't say thank you to the lady who served them or um, thank you to the to the mum for buying them and I thought that was quite telling. Yes. Funny enough, I had a thing last night. Um, I was in the local pub just over the road from my house, went for a late dinner. It's quite a cramped, oldy-worldy kind of pub. There was, there was a big party in the back with kids and push chairs and, and that sort of thing. And as um, they were coming out, I was in the way, so I got up and moved my chair. And two young mums with their babies in push chairs smiled and said thanks as they went past. And then I sat back down and then some more came, so I stood back up again. And the two older ladies, who sort of the grandmas, just completely blanked me. No acknowledgement, nothing like that. And then the little toddler who came past at the end said thank you. It should be the grandma or nana setting that example, not, not the toddler. Exactly. <laughs> Your point about example setting and about modelling is really well made because my granddad was instrumental in teaching me a lot of how to behave. My uncles were as well. My dad wasn't around at the time. So um, those male role models were really instrumental in teaching me how to be polite and, and sort of the basics, please and thank you and, and may I and, and that sort of thing. But also the deeper underlying things such as not to be too boring, not to monopolise a conversation, although I'm not always great at that, not to be disinterested in people when they're, when they're telling me things, things like that. I learnt so much of it from my, from my granddad and from my uncles. You can teach it, but you have to also show it. So it's not just something that's done for special occasions or, or to pass a test. It's, this is how we act all the time. You can't fake that. You've got to lead by example, and I think that's very true. I think that's the way we should be and should be leading by example. And we're not always perfect. I am certainly not always perfect. We all fall down at certain points. Yeah, but I do my best to be always polite and kind and considerate and A, because of what I do, but also so other people say, OK, you know, that's the way it should be. And I understand that parents have difficulty and stress and all that sort of thing. I'm not a parent, so I can't make a comment on that point. But the issue is that if kids see that all the time, see the stress and see the anxiety and see the frustration with people, then that will come through. It's very easy, I think, to show manners just in certain situations or to use it from time to time. But if it's your natural way of acting, it's what you always do. It's automatic rather than thought of. It becomes natural, it becomes relaxed, it becomes part of who you are. And that's the same for teaching your children or, or your younger colleagues or people you interact with around you. It becomes something that is completely natural and not forced. That just makes it much more comfortable for everyone, which is really the basis of it all anyway. If you have to learn, it sometimes will be forced to start with until you get that comfortability of it. It was interesting you say about your uncles and, and grandparents around. My father wasn't around at all, so I had very few male role models, and it was my grandfather, uh, my mother's father, and uh, my Mum and my grandmother were very heavily influenced in that. But as I, I think we've discussed before, my biggest influences were actually the old Hollywood legends. It was the David Nivens and the Cary Grants. They were the kind of people I went, oh, I want to be like them. If you're not in an environment where you've been brought up with manners and you've not learned them or you've had a partial education or, or however, and that does happen, you can teach yourself. Just as you've done, Zach, so much of your charm and your manners and all of those things are, are self-taught. There's no reason that others can't do it and that's what we're here to help with and as you were saying earlier start them as young as possible lead by example as young as possible you're imprinted so early psychologically you're imprinted so early much earlier than people think 
you know, with behaviour. So you've got to imprint that behaviour as early as possible. It is true. There's um, a podcast I'm hopefully going to talk about in one of the later episodes. Is a this podcast called Gastropod, which is about science and food and things like that. They did a really interesting episode where they showed that the sorts of food you like and the, the things that you learn early sort of imprint in that period from five, six months old up to about two. That's kind of the golden period for setting some baselines for how you're going to to act. And they were they were looking at it from food, because that's their background. But I think it holds true for a lot of other things. Just as the as the Jesuit said, you know, give me the boy for five years and I'll give you the man. If you can teach people young and if you can teach your children young, as I was, these things do become natural and, and inherent. Yeah, absolutely. And as a world and as responsible people, we've got to make that push and drive and go forward wherever you are in the world and hold people to account. If they aren't behaving with manners, hold them to account. Being nice does not mean being weak. Mannered does not mean a walkover. Mannered just means behaving well. Yes. The men that I have most respected, colleagues, mentors at work, family members, guys I've trained with, have generally been well-managed. In fact, have all have been well-managed, but have also been strong. Not the sort of men you'd want to get into an argument with, not the sort of men you would want to pit wills with, but open-minded and willing to debate and very fair. That, I think, is is important. <sighs> well, there we go. Deep and meaningful. Sometimes we are, and then sometimes we talk about things like Brazilian food and great natural history TV. So you get all sorts here. On that note, I'm going to find some food. <laughs> <laughs> Good thinking. It's my turn to cook tonight. I'm cooking Italian, not Brazilian tonight. But yes, I think later in the week, or perhaps over the weekend, I might do that. James, always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Do drop us a line at inquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's the P Gentleman or Men, depending on which one it is. Google us. We're easily findable. If you want to contact us directly, both James and I are on Twitter personally. We're always happy to hear from you. We're delighted to speak to you. If you want us to cover a subject or want to talk about anything, do drop us a line. James, as a pleasure as always, sir. It's been a lot of fun, as always. We'll speak soon. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by The Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.